Welcome to Responding to Life, a podcast hosted by me, Josephine Atlery. Do you ever feel like you could use some guidance when life throws you a curveball? By listening to the narratives in this podcast, you will learn from other people's experiences and responses to challenging situations so you can fast track the learning curve to get ahead in your own life. Welcome to another bonus episode of my podcast, Responding to Life, Living Reflectively Through a Journey of Health, Fertility, and Parenthood. In this special series, I'm speaking with a wide variety of friends and experts to discuss the COVID-19 pandemic and quarantine as it relates to their personal lives as well as their areas of expertise. My hope is that you can walk away from these special episodes with new ways of approaching life in a positive and mindful way to help sustain you through these tough times. In today's episode, I'm speaking with two educators to discuss the state of education in America in light of the pandemic. My first guest is Claude Monique Viard, a Brooklyn-based early education public school educator and former pediatric behavioral therapist. She has 17 years of teaching experience and has taught 18-month-olds to 18-year-olds. Claude is also a mother of two. My second guest is Lisa Duca. Lisa considers herself always and at once a learner before all else and is happiest taking in the rolling ocean waves and dips and heights of her native San Francisco. She began working in elementary classrooms over 15 years ago and has taught as a second, third, fifth, and sixth grade teacher in California, North Carolina, and New York City in a variety of public and independent schools. Her work in schools and the communities they serve has fed a passion for social justice by way of compassionate, self-aware, and empowered learning community. For the past three years, Lisa has served as a national seeking educational diversity and education leader at her schools, leading staff members in conversational communities to drive personal, organizational, and societal change toward social justice. Thank you so much for joining me today, Lisa and Claude. As a mom of five kids with children in preschool, fifth grade, and seventh grade, who are all navigating the new online learning systems, I've been so eager to have this opportunity to speak with educators and hear your perspective on how this pandemic will forever change the way our children approach and receive education. And I can't wait to discuss as well the shift for educators in the manner of delivery of education. So let's dive right in. Um, before we get into the nitty gritty of the effects on education, I'd love to hear how both of you are doing in this new normal that we find ourselves in both personally and professionally. So I'll start with you, Claude, if you can. Okay. Ahead. So the, the first, um, I would say the first two to three weeks of remote learning was really hard on me because I had to provide tech support to the parents. Um, so everybody, there's a wide spectrum of abilities in terms of um, how tech savvy they are. 
And so even like, it would be nine o'clock at night and I was still on the phone with parents, walking them through like how to get on the various platforms. And um, I think that that was the, the challenging thing or like, and because we are remote, they have access to, like I gave them my phone number. So then they would call me like a randomly. And I would say I was getting like, four and a half, five hours of sleep a night in the beginning because I felt like I wanted to create a remote and I teach pre-K and I wanted a remote learning program that I was going to be proud of. And so it was, it really, it was really taxing in terms of Mm -hmm. um, setting up the program, learning it myself, being confident enough with it to be able to teach the parents. But then now it's okay. But in the beginning, like kicking it off was really, really demanding and difficult. Yeah, I can, I can imagine, especially with pre-K. Um, that's what I'm experiencing with, with my four-year-old twins in their, in their preschool. It's very, it's quite different from the online learning experience of my fifth and seventh graders. That's for sure. <laughs> and uh, for you, Lisa? How has this new normal been for you? Yeah, thanks. So I think, like Claude, the very first few weeks was extremely difficult just because there was so much that was unknown um, and we were moving so quickly. It was this, um, you know, need to kind of shift and turn on a dime and be able to, within a day or two, try and set up some sort of virtual community um, a virtual classroom in multiple subjects, create schedules. Um, my students and families too had a really mixed bag of familiarity with technology. And so trying to kind of hold space and support them as the students were more concerned with what do I do? Because I never had email before. And now because of Google Classroom, I have 150 emails and how do I sift Mm -hmm. through this? You know, so like trying to get through all of those aspects and, um, and it's, you know, it's an interesting kind of pivot from the ways that we're able to interact when we're in community and in presence with one another. Um, There's so much that we rely upon in terms of um, sharing space and being able to say, well, let's just like take a look over here with this group and and use what's happening in our shared space um and we were missing that and you know we continue to miss that but it's about trying to figure out how do we then create a virtual shared space right mm-hmm. and so um we've we restructured within our great team we departmentalized after the first day or so um so now instead of having 24 kids i now work with 47 but only in one subject. And so then we're really able to kind of dig in deeper and, and take some time with the, the pivot from um, real-time classroom teaching and into, into the virtual space. So it's been, it's taken, I think a good month for us to find a rhythm, find a schedule and, and try and find one that's going to work for 47 different families, which is also really challenging. Right. That's, that's a great point of looking at it from different perspectives of people who are coming at this, like online learning is just a different approach for each family, for sure. Uh, I have been really fortunate and lucky with the, the schooling systems that my children are in and that 
they they adapted really quickly to trying new things and then a week later scratching some things and then starting something else and you know my especially that happened for my seventh grader it was frustrating for him but um kudos to them for constantly evaluating what was working what wasn't and then trying to to implement new things so um that uh, going to you, Claude, you mentioned that you had two children of your own. So I'm curious how you're able to juggle your, your students and then the learning for your own children at this time. So, um, again, same thing, like in the beginning, we had to find our rhythm, right? Like, mm-hmm. like when for my, I have a three-year-old and a six-year-old and my three-year-old was in a little, um, you know, attending a little nursery school, like a private school, and, um, they've done a really good job at giving him, so he has whole group in the morning, then small group, and then a one-on-one with his, one of his teachers just to check in. So they really, I feel like they're attending to his social emotional needs really well. And, um, they have art class and they have dance parties on Fridays and oh, that helps fun. to build community. Yes. And they're really, I feel like they're really doing a really good job. They're very thoughtful and conscientious about it. Um, and then with my daughter, she actually goes to the school that I work at, a public school in Brooklyn. And she, she has, she's in first grade and she has quite a bit of work to do. Um, she's a, I, I learned that she has stamina and mm-hmm. she has grit. Like she's really, um, she's a really, uh, she's a really hard worker. Like she really, like, I'm like, wow, like she's been working for hours. <laughs> like she's really, you know, she, I feel like the transition was pretty smooth. I think that she misses her friends I, um, quite a bit. And um, we try to, to FaceTime with them. But I think the, the challenge for me in the beginning was figuring out, cause I was, I would, I was, everything was getting half done. Like I was helping both of them with their little assignments and then grading my own students' work as well. And then I realized I'm going to, right now where I am, I post all the assignments for my students, but then in the morning I dedicate, because the parents are actually doing the assignments during the day, I focus my attention on both my children getting their work done. And then I spend like a couple hours, like after they go to sleep, grading all the work that they submit. and. Um, and posting the work for the next day. So that's what works. And then I, I check my email. So if they need help, like I'm, I'm available to like communicate with the parents, but I don't check any work until like around, like around seven o'clock from like seven, you know, onward, I'll like check. Cause I find that that's what works best for me, but it took a long time mm-hmm. to figure that out. And so I was just like all over the place, but now I feel like it's more focused. Like my son, he's three years old. I have things I, I want him to do. Like I want him to be able to write his name. He has a really long name. So, I, so every morning we wake up, he sits, he knows I have to write my name once, like his first and his last name. And then I have two different activities for him. Um, he goes to like a, a Pan-African school. So they have like a freedom fighter of the week. So we talk about who That's his cool. freedom fighter is and we nice. print out the picture. We have the letter that goes with it. Like, Angela Davis. And then let's say the letter of the week is D. So we cut the picture out. We talk about who the person is. He did James Baldwin last week. So we do that. We do like his freedom fighter, you know, so, so it's a good, and I keep them separated. Um, and that helps a lot. Like my daughter stays in her room (laughs) and he stays downstairs with me in the dining room and keeping them separate 
is keeps them focused because when they're together, yeah. they just want to play. Right. So yeah. yeah. So that's yeah. <laughs> okay. First, I'm super tired just hearing about your schedule. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. I was tired. And she's going on and on about it. I'm like, oh. <laughs> oh my goodness. Talk about stamina. I know where your daughter gets it from. <laughs> that's so funny. And then second, the the preschool um, program sounds killer. I love that. I love how they have like those topics that they're doing. That's amazing. And so moving into your role as educators and, you know, the changing face of education today as we move into progressed quarantine and um, this pandemic, I want, if you could elaborate further, you've already touched upon it, some challenges, but if you could elaborate on other challenges that you faced while teaching and also in connection with your students and that idea of community and how you're able to maintain that virtually. Uh, let's start with Lisa. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that one thing that has really been apparent since this began is how important the community that we were establishing and that we had established over the past three trimesters or, you know, three semesters, um, how important those were. Because it's on the basis of that, that we really are able to kind of carry through and, and to keep that connection going through these virtual platforms. That's been a really important aspect. The fact that when I sign off with my students or talk to them in the morning, we have morning meetings every morning. Um, I meet with half of my class, 12 kids for 20 minutes. It's mostly a run through of like schedules, but we incorporate games and greetings and uh, we share poetry, music or a video that's maybe four or five minutes, anything to maintain the rituals that we had. And they hear me every day saying, I love you and I miss you. And I know that that's not the first time that they've heard it. So, you know, it really does. I, I believe that they believe me. And, and that's like a, such an important aspect of maintaining community with my kids and maintaining that connection. Um, mm-hmm. They know that they are loved and they know that, that we want to be together. And so I think the hardest part of trying to keep that going is, is to, you know, keep bringing us back to that space. It's, it's not really possible for all of us to be online with our students in the same way that we, we are with them when we're in person because there's so many other things that are happening. And so how do we capitalize on the short bursts of time that we have? We have one-on-one meetings with certain students who really need that executive functioning help or Mm -hmm. just need like the social time or a little bit of support in this subject area or another. And I think that you know because we are building off of those strong relationships that we've um, that we've developed throughout the school year, that's what makes it possible. Um, this time apart really, really clearly creates the the need for for that connection making. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And in your experience, Claude? Oh, Lisa made me remember that I actually do go live with my students. I forgot that part. <laughs> we go we go live at 1030 every morning. And um what I, I have 18 students and what I decided is that Mondays and Fridays we're 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 a whole group. And then Wednesday, uh Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I do groups of six okay. so that it's more intimate. 
and they're just more comfortable and I can get a better sense of where they are academically and social emotionally. And mm-hmm. so that's kind of like the structure that I put in place and it's been working out really well. Um, on Fridays we have, I, I like came up with this FaceTime Fridays thing where they, they have, everybody has the contact list and the kids can like FaceTime a friend. So on Thursdays oh. I remind them like, you know, who do you want to FaceTime with tomorrow? Tell your parent to text that parent to find out what time. So they have individual play dates mm-hmm. and, um, and then we do show and tell, virtual show and tell on Fridays. So Fridays, it's not like academic or anything like that. We just do like, they just share like anything that they want from their home. Um, I think that, uh, I think that the, in terms of, we were, we were thinking about how are we going to honor their, cause they're, they're pre-K, they're going to step up to go to kindergarten in terms of their graduation. I was just talking to my assistant teacher about, since they all basically live in the same community, we were thinking like to responsibly and socially distant ourselves, but like wave from their buildings and like um, oh, okay. go to each individual person's home. Cause we have like, we have their portfolio with all their work. We have, um, we have, we, they each have a teddy bear that they took care of all school year. So we want to like oh. be able to give them the bear and the binder with all their work and maybe like a balloon or something just to like honor, like, you know, that they did graduate and they did finish. Cause we have, because it, it would be fairly easy for us to do. So we've been sort of brainstorming graduation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I think that I feel like, I think the biggest, it's for me, a challenge is you have stay at home moms who can like do a lot of the work you have, um, parents, working parents who are just kind of like, who also like, I guess, figure out how to do it and get it done. But then you mm-hmm. have parents who might be work, who are working outside of the home because they're essential workers or mm-hmm. might not be tech savvy. So I feel mm-hmm. like the challenge with remote learning is that unlike in the classroom where it's, everyone has an equal access to the information. It's very obvious that some kids are getting more and some kids are getting less. And it's not sometimes not even about class. Like I have, I have like a a child who has two, both his parents are professors at Columbia, but he doesn't get any of his work done. And Mm -hmm. because they don't have management when it comes to academics, you know, like they're just like, we want Mm -hmm. him to be happy and just go to the park and, what do whatever he wants like you know what right. i mean yeah like so yeah. so it's not even like you know it's so it's very interesting to me and eye-opening because it's not like um it's not like one it, it, there's not one look to it like it does you know like okay. there's so many different i don't know if that makes sense no, but there's not like sense. a prototype that's what i mean there's not a prototype for the person who's not completing their assignments there's like right. a wide range of reasons and um, backgrounds. So that, yeah. so I think that for me, that's the challenge is that some people just like, you know, like, um, some people are really like really type A about getting everything done because they have the time and because it's, it, they value it. And then right. other people are like, they'll be fine. They'll be okay. It's just pre-K. Like everybody has right. a different value system. And I think that's where my challenge is challenging for me because I'm like, I really put a lot of effort into this. I really mm-hmm. want them to like, to do every right. song. <laughs> yeah. You're working hard. You're working yeah, you are. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, I think like, if I could, like what Claude is talking about in terms of like, yes, it, it kind of 
shares um, what equity looks like in different ways or inequity looks like, in di- you know, in different scenarios and also speaks to just like the difficulty in trying to to meet the needs of all of these kids in their various scenarios. Right. right. Um, it's yeah. it can be really, really um, different compared to, you know, from one household to another. And and you're right when we're not sharing space those differences really become highlighted. They really become clear and stark. And it is an interesting um, window that parents get into the ways that their child approaches work, mm-hmm. approaches challenge, and approaches right. learning um, and what it looks like to motivate um, their, their particular child as a student, you know, in this right. different context. And it, I think it also creates a different relationship of the parent with their their children because they're you know they hear us saying or they hear me saying and my 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 team saying like your parents are our partners right now um Mm -hmm. whereas before kids could say well you don't understand my teacher told me it's like this and you don't get it and you could kind of put that wall up but Mm -hmm. at this point like we're all in the same room together and right. there's no real separation now. And parents are really in a partnership with teachers in a very new way. And that I think is sometimes right. really difficult and uncomfortable, but it's also an, just an interesting like window into our, like our approach with their, with their children. And then also how their child kind of responds to what's happening. I, yeah, I, no, that's, mm-hmm. right. I was going to no, say, ahead, I, I, I think that, um, Something that as a parent that I, I did that my dad did with me, I remember him teaching me like my times tables as a kid. So he, I feel like we always had an academic relationship. So then when he had to, to help me with homework, it was really easy because he always, he would always do things like, I think we had to learn times tables in second grade. So like the summer first grade, he started, you know, like, I think, I feel, mm-hmm. I always remember him, us having an academic relationship in addition to like, of course, playing and roller skating and doing all these fun things. But we had an academic relationship. And I think that I learned that from him. And so with my children, even when they were in schools where like my daughter went to like a Waldorf type school and she was just like very free Mm -hmm. and went. But Mm -hmm. I still worked with her because I wanted that academic relationship. And I think it's very valuable for me now because she can be so independent. And I think that that's I think that's one of the challenges in terms of um, where the equity comes in, because I think that. We, I have children who would go from after school to homework help. So the parents never had to do any work with them. They would, you know, they would mm. be taught by their teachers and they would go to homework help, get most of their work done. And the parents might look over it, but then that's it. They, they're, the time, the time with the parents was so precious because it's such a short period of time. So they would like eat dinner and relax and enjoy each other's company. But now that everybody's home, the parents kind of have to shift their role and, and, and build that an academic relationship. That they yes. that didn't exist before. Yes, right. Yeah, that has been a challenging part, definitely. As as a mom, you, it's a new relationship with the with the school and with the educators, and with your student, your child. So it's kind of walking a fine line of how independent or how involved should I be in there, especially as they, you know, from fifth grade versus the seventh grader. Like maybe I should be more hands off. It's just it just brings up all these new 
new things to consider and and to deal with definitely and i love that point about about um how everyone comes from sort of different value system as it comes to education and you know i was thinking about it more in terms of access like how that prevents children from getting the education that they need but that was a fantastic point of looking at it from like what their household looks like and how they approach and support their students um, in their schooling. So that totally affects it as well. Um, and so we talked about some challenges. I wanted to flip it over to some positivity stuff and wondering if there have been any positive outcomes from this new way of delivering education for you as teachers and for your students. Lisa? Yeah, um, so I think that it really ingrains the, the value of being flexible. Um, I think we've learned together that things are going to change and shift and our, our lives are going to change and shift and, and we can come out, um, through that change whole, um, albeit different. Um, as I mentioned earlier, my grade team, we're a team of four. There are two fifth grade classrooms, um, at, at my school and we have two co-teachers in each classroom. So there's four teachers and we decided that it was really difficult to continue to try and teach multiple subjects and, and flip them for virtual learning. And so uh, we departmentalized and that gave me an opportunity to spend more time with all of the fifth graders. So now I have a really much deeper relationship with so many more of the students in the fifth grade. We have worked on building community between the two classrooms throughout and have tried to work that into the ways that we approach certain, you know, rituals and, and times shared together and recess and like outdoor ed times. But this has really given us an opportunity to, to truly develop um, deeper and more meaningful relationships with more of my students who are fifth graders. Um, I, there's like, there is a fine line between this like kind of vacuum of Google Classroom um, and like loving it and, and kind of hating it um, because we can't have a shared conversation. And really that's such an important part of the way that we learn together, you know, sharing ideas and, and hearing someone say something and having it resonate and being able to sit with that for a little bit or call it out and say, no, that's not right because this is my experience. So I, I, I miss those moments, but I will say that be, having students kind of just turn in work on their own does give them a freedom of not quite anonymity because they know that they know that a teacher is going to see, they know that I'm going to get to see their work, but there's um, kind of a, a more intimate dialogue that begins when I'm just reading one student's reflections on a lesson, um, one student's thoughts on a part that they read in a story or a social studies uh, topic. And um, it, it actually, hearing individual students speak to their uh, reflections and thoughts on, on topics that we were studying really were huge in, in making me make shifts in my teaching and shifts in the curriculum um, because I was able to listen very closely um, in a moment that I don't know that I would necessarily have had if we were always whole group. And certainly because some of those mm. students weren't in classrooms with me. So I do feel grateful for like windows into the students 
that I perhaps wouldn't have had before. That's nice. Yeah, that is a plus. And for you, Claude, any positive outcomes from this whole digital classroom existence of ours? I think that for me, because I have pre-K, I would say that it's way more academic. So I think that mm. what the children are able to cover in, in terms of academics, whereas if we were in the classroom, it would like we have um, like all the digital resources we have, they're like the math that they're doing online. I feel like they would not have been able to have access to as much of that because we don't we we, we do everything through play. So like mm-hmm. we, so like we have blocks, if they're building with blocks, I'll say, how many blocks are there? What if I took one away? Like it's, it, everything is done in context. Whereas um, now like they have, they do sight words, like some of them can, can read. Whereas I don't, I don't teach reading, but I, I'm, I'm assigning them, you know, assignments that are more academic because, you know, kindergarten is around the corner and where I, so I feel like I, I would say that's the biggest um I, I feel like it's a good thing because um, I know that a lot of them have siblings and they are playing still, even though it's not like teacher-directed play or even student-led. I mean, I guess they they do. I, I tell them, like, I give them a long list of things and I'm like, I, basically, I've, I've created, like, a virtual virtual centers for them. So, like, dramatic play. I'm like, you can have a restaurant. You could have, you can be a carpenter. Like, what do you want to be today? You know, we have, so we have a, they have a good balance of, like, um, the centers we had in the classroom virtually with whatever materials they have at home. And then they have like academics, like um, they, they listen to like have books read to them and then they do responses, they draw pictures. And um, while we would have done it, the volume at which they're doing it at home is way, it's way higher. And so mm-hmm. I'm able to see more of that. Whereas in the classroom, our days are just busier. We have, um, we have other specialty classes to go to. So I feel mm-hmm. like the, as for those that are, are doing the work, they're definitely getting um, a, a nice solid foundation for kindergarten, like in terms of preparation. Right. Yeah, no, that's true. That That is exactly what my four-year-olds are sort of experiencing now. And that you're right, it was all play-based and now can't really do that interactively via, via Zoom. So definitely more opportunities for actual like assignments um and so claude your background is in uh, pediatric behavior and so i was wondering from your perspective what you feel like for students in various grades what sort of effects this has this will have on them in terms of like their emotions their behaviors and uh, just in general how they approach school and community you know, I think um, it makes me a little bit sad because I feel like uh, just in speaking with my colleagues and my sister has like a 17-year-old and um, so I, I speak to people in with, you know, different range, ranges of children and um, I think it's going to take them time to adjust to when the world opens up, like what that's going to look like. Like my sister has a 17-year-old. And he won't even like take out the garbage. Like he's so afraid of outside. <laughs> like she's like, you can um, take out the garbage. You know what I mean? Like I feel like right. he's so afraid. Or like even my own children, we 
we do have a park that's open. They don't go on any of the equipment. The equipment is closed up, but there's just like a big open field. So you can Mm -hmm. be socially distant. And if someone comes near, they're like a person, people, and they run away. Like they, Mm -hmm. they, in their minds, they've been like trained to like stay away from people. And I think Mm -hmm. that, um, I actually had my, my pre-K students read a book about what, what, what does it mean to be socially distant? But what can, how can we maintain our, you know, our relationships and our friendships? And I think that's what, I think that's what is going to be key. Like having, making sure that children um, maintain, and I guess because they do have phones and things like that and computers, making sure they maintain those friendships, I think will be really important because I do think that, especially if I have another nephew who's also 16 years old and he's shy and I could see him like not reaching out to friends and just kind of, and, and he likes, he's just kind of an introvert. So I think for those kind of kids, I think it's going to be mm-hmm. hard for them to adjust to, to going back into the world because they rather be apart. And I think that those children also tend to um, not, not have opportunities to express their feelings. Um, I check mm-hmm. in with my students a lot. Like, how are you feeling? They all say good. And I'm like, how are you really feeling? Like, tell me more. I said, I said, use something else besides good. And they'll say things like, you know, bored or, you know, and it's like, yeah, because you're doing the. It makes sense, you know, to feel bored mm-hmm. and it's okay. And um, so I think in terms of, I think it'll take time for them to adjust to just socializing again and feel mm-hmm. and having that intimacy of, of physical friendships, you know, being able to physically be around other people because it's going to be, it's, it's a challenge. And and for those that are like, might not have like high school kids that might not have like a great relationship with their parents, or they might not be in um, living situations that, um, that where they went high school, they could play sports and keep themselves busy and then come Mm -hmm. home late and then just start, you know, I think, I think about those children and Mm -hmm. I think it's the same for college students too, who are home, who might not want to be home. I think for those, you know, I, I, it's, um, Sometimes it's hard when I think about that, like people who kind of, for for them, school was like their refuge because they were able to right. like, yeah, keep themselves busy. And so um, I know that at my school, the, the guidance counselor and the parent coordinator, they um, have been doing workshops about um, anxiety and depression and things like that and how the parents can support their, their children, you know, their children so that they can maintain their their mental health and mental well-being right you know a lot of what you said is so applicable to to adults as well like figuring out how to maintain connections with other people versus just hiding you know at home and just not reaching out I mean that's going to be tough to navigate as well as we slowly start to get back out into the world and um and actually you know that reminds me of what my fifth graders get to do with their school, with their teachers. They have this like community of caring where the teacher does bring up, you know, how are we all feeling and opportunities for thinking about how other people are affected in the world and coming up with solutions for how they can help as a community of, of a school. And I'm interested, Lisa, if you, how you're able to manage the emotions of your own students. That's, you know, something that's really forefront for our great team. Um, we, you know, we do want to move them forward with academics, of course, but um, 
you know, I'm constantly reminded of the fact that one, when we, when we worry about kids falling behind, um, recognizing that standards are set by educators and teachers. And when we receive students in any given year, we meet them where they're at. So there's, you know, we really, as a grade team, as a school, try to not focus on this aspect of falling behind, but really of taking care of the students social emotionally. And so it's those morning meetings that we have every day. It's synchronous teaching time where, yes, we're, we're focusing on content, but we're also trying to think about the ways that students are interacting with one another. And so we're intentionally designing um, breakout space, you know, meets for them so that they can work together. Um, we create times for them to study and having study group. And I think also adjusting our curriculum is a really important part of it. So one of our um, rituals and traditions at our school is a fifth grade speech. It's the last speech that they're going to give as they leave lower school and move into the upper school. And that's been in the works since, you know, right before we started um, sheltering in place. And um, an important part of that is leaving space open for students to talk about that, um, whatever their topics where they get to choose, but acknowledging what is happening is a really important part of that. And so I think mm-hmm. myself, I, I spend time to, I want to acknowledge, how are you feeling? How are things going? Yes, this is difficult. I miss you so much. We miss school so much. And just acknowledging we write poetry together. Um, we, we talk through, you know, some days are highs and lows. It's that roller coaster. And so I think that Keeping that in mind, um, letting there be space for all of the ranges of emotions that come up and allowing for one day to be really positive and another day to be just the pits and mm-hmm. and letting that be okay. Um, I mean, because as you say, this is, this is, I think, mirrors the experience that we have as adults. Um, and you know, there's, there's a lot of lack of control that feels, um, it, that feels like it's difficult to deal with. You know, there's so much mm-hmm. that's not in our control. So what are the things that are in control, um, that we have control over? Our time together, how mm-hmm. we, how we try and communicate and connect. Um, sometimes it's not whether our video is working, but maybe how we respond to a prompt and, and really trying to be, I think, even more uh, mindful of the times that we get to spend together. Um, Mm -hmm. It's, it's different, but I do get a very real sense um, and communication from my students, how much they love seeing one another, seeing their teachers and spending time together. Um, It, I think that is a nice thing is everyone just realizes how much we love being together and being in Mm -hmm. school. And, And I could say that that's, that's throughout, you know, pretty much wholeheartedly what our students are feeling. And, and I think that that's a nice reminder of how important it is. um, The time that we spend together, the community that we share and the ways that we can be our full authentic selves, whether it's really excited and full of energy or I'm ready to climb back into bed and meeting each other where we're at. um, That seems to be really important. Yes, no, definitely. So in in terms of just how schools will be run, you know, after 
several months out, maybe next year. How do you feel in your school in particular or just in school systems in general, what you've been hearing? How do you feel that this pandemic will have changed how schools are operating? Go to you, Claude. Um, I think that, uh, so I, at least for my school, I think that it'll, there'll be more, there'll, there'll be a better push with like sanitary practices. Like I know that, like I would give my daughter, I always gave my daughter hand sanitizer because she's in public school. It's a great school, but like there, the soap dispenser in the, in the cafeteria is usually empty, you know? So mm-hmm. she like, and she said they all go to the bathroom. Like every grade goes to the bathroom before lunch. So they wash their hands in the bathroom. But I'm just like, I don't know. I just think that it'd be nice if they could, you know, now they did, you know, once everything was happening, they started keeping it full. But like, mm-hmm. I think that having, you know, like how hospitals have like the hand sanitizers in the hallway. I think that would be great to have like those kinds of things going on. I, I've been reading about how, um, I think it was in Denmark how they, they're, they're doing a lot of, uh, outdoor school so they, they could still be apart. Um, I just, I mean, I don't know how that's going to work for pre-K because by nature, they just are always on top of each other. Like older right. children can like follow, like adhere to those, that six feet boundary. Um, Ish. I was, Ish, right? Ish. I know, right? I mean, they, they exactly. They still want to be close to each other. It's, it's true. This, I mean, I guess I got, you know, right, right. But, um, so I think that, um, I know that we, my, my colleague and I, we have been speaking about like keeping social, like she's my work wife, she's on my grade team and we talk almost every afternoon. Um, and we were talking about maybe they're going to have us like, since we have 18 kids, maybe we'll have nine one day and nine the other. Like we were thinking, like we've been thinking about all the different ways that they're going to make this happen. Um, but I do think like, just like how, um, I know there's like memes about this and stuff. Like my sister said she was at the grocery store and she sneezed and everyone looked at her. I feel like people will be nervous. I feel like there's going to be a level of anxiety when we do go back, you know, mm-hmm. like little things like coughing and sneezing that didn't mean anything for us. I feel mm-hmm. like means so much now. I know okay. for me in terms of, um, you know, I have little, I have pre-K. So for me, it, the fever was a huge thing. Like vomiting was a huge thing and I I will never forget I took my kids one of my students to the nurse and the the nurse says oh you have to vomit twice to be able to go home I'm like what what do you mean like and I just went to the office and I called the parents directly and they came and they got him but I feel like they'll take these things way more seriously now whereas before Mm -hmm. they had these silly rules like who who came up with that rule that you have to throw up twice to be able to go home? You know, like things like right. that. Or like um, before I know that the fever had to be like a hundred or something. Like if it was slight, like it had to be, you know, there are certain things that were like really, I think basically set up to keep the kids at school where I feel like now, even if they have like a fever, slight fever, they'll be able to go home. I feel like those kinds of things. I'm hoping that like my niece is a nurse, um, here in New York, um, and she uh, she's staying at a hotel, and they're they're putting her up so that she doesn't have to be at home. And before she enters the hotel, they take her temperature. And so I think that they might have something like that, hopefully in place where everyone's getting their temperatures taken because 
the reality is people have to work and sometimes they give their kids medicine and they just send them to school. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, I'm hoping that that practice stops that people like, are more, I mean, after this, they will be more conscientious about that and not send them. But, um, mm-hmm. but in terms of what it's going to look like, I think that, I think that's the sanitary practices will be more stringent. I think that the, the, and maybe more medical staff also to um, assess children and see how they're doing and, and, um, and less, less students. Cause we have, we have about, I think we have uh, almost a thousand students in our, from pre-K to fifth grade in my school. And so, um, so I think that definitely, I guess if we were occupying at 500 instead of a thousand, that would be, much better for us in terms of safety. Right. Right. And Lisa, how would you weigh in on? Yeah. You know, I mean, it's so uncertain, right? Because we're, we're yeah. unclear of like, what does reopening look like? How long is that going to take? What are spikes and things like that in terms of uh, rates of infection? Um, and even just knowing if folks have it, but um, it seems as though um, fewer kids in a school um, seems to be, what things are moving towards, I think for older grades or perhaps even for the younger grades, a greater reliance on um, virtual uh, platforms um, continues mm-hmm. to be in our future. Um, mm-hmm. And I, you know, I've had those conversations of troubleshooting, like, what is it going to look like? What would six feet apart or something that's healthy look like in a classroom? And and I also wonder um, how to how to schedule something like that. Like, how do you tell students and families you're only going to school these days? So because there are only so many um, students that can be in in a classroom at a given time, it it feels you know I I'm not quite sure what it's going to look like. I do know that it will be different. Um, I know that we're not going to go back to the way it was. Um, part of me feels like you know. Um, the analogy of if you're in a marathon, you run the mile that you're in <laughs> feels like the easiest for me to kind of handle because right. the, the, the possibilities seem endless, don't they? Like, yeah, right. You know, outdoor schools sound fantastic. And then what do you do in a, in a densely populated place like New York or, um, right. um, other cities that just don't have space? Um, but, you know, if that is the case and we can be outdoors and perhaps being creative and being able to shift and pivot learning to more experiential situations, um, that could be, I think, a really interesting way of um, engaging with curriculum students and trying to to do so in a safe and healthy way. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's how I approach just this whole life in general of just sticking with that one mile because the enormity of it is just so profound. That it, yeah. But, um, well, you know, I could ask a ton more questions, but you know, our time is up and I really enjoyed hearing both of your perspectives. It's just wonderful. All the work that both of you are doing for your students and your communities and schools. And, um, you know, I always end my podcast with gratitude as a way to shift perspective and shift the positivity. So I'd love to hear from both of you the gratitude that you have for today. Let's start with Claude. Um, I'm grateful for my health today. Um, just one. 
If you have more on deck, go for okay. it. Okay. <laughs> well, I'm grateful for my health and for the rest that I was. I took a nap today, so for being able to rest, like okay. calm my calm my my mind. I, I I never napped before, but now that I'm home, um, I've been able to kind of quiet my mind a little bit easier, which yeah. is which has been really, really helpful for me to get through like the, the next part of my day. So yeah, Absolutely. I would say help my health and my, and the the rest that I got today. Love it. Yeah. And for you, Lisa? Uh, today I am very grateful for, um, the being able to, um, I live in San Francisco. I live right at uh, the beach at the ocean. Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful for, the ability to, to access, um, such beautiful natural surroundings, um, every morning. I'm grateful for, um, the, the love that my students share, uh, with me on a daily basis. It really helps me get through low days and, um, and makes days brighter. Um, and I'm really grateful for the incredible supportive community of, um, of educators that I have, um, I check in with, um, with friends and colleagues, uh, and we live all over the country and we're all dealing in different ways, um, you know, with this pandemic, um, either as administrators or educators or parents or a combination. And it feels, you know, really grounding to be able to, to share low moments and then also have them, you know, give perspective and remind me of the the things that I am doing or that they are doing that helps support me and our students. So grateful for that community as well. Wonderful. Well, I'm grateful for both of you for this opportunity to have this discussion and to meet virtually. So thank you again for joining me and I continue uh, continue to stay safe and healthy take care thank you josephine thank you so much thanks claude thank you thank you need some help managing your stress and anxiety during this difficult time be sure to join me every wednesday in may at 1 30 p.m pst for a quick 15 minute live stream meditation on zoom We'll try out a new technique each week that will help you cope and tune into your calm. To get the link, go to my site, jayantlurie.com, and enter your email in the pop-up window. Be sure to check out other tips on how to respond to life in a meaningful way by listening to my other Responding to Life episodes. Thank you again for sharing your time with me. Thank you for listening to Responding to Life, a podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode and would like to receive a bi-monthly newsletter, with an exclusive and free video meditation, along with wellness tips and deals, please go to www.respondingtolifepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter by entering your email address in the pop-up box. In there, you'll also learn my seven-step process on how to meditate like a pro so you can stress less and live more joyfully. If you enjoyed the show, I invite you to share it with your friends and leave a rating and review on whatever podcast outlet you use. I look forward to sharing another inspirational story with you real soon.